is a year where things change, and that 2022 is a year of transition. So kind of trying to set everybody up for the new year a little bit. Uh, well, we want to welcome everybody watching us by live stream. All you Olivet family, Merry Christmas to you. If you would do us a favor and share the stream, we'd be very grateful. If you're not a subscriber to our YouTube channel, hit subscribe. Evangelize and tell the world that Jesus is number one by just going share the stream on your page. It's an evangelism opportunity. And so we want to set you up for what I believe is a year of transition. So we're a very prophetic church. We believe that God does things specifically. We believe he does things uniquely. We believe he does things creatively. And he does the hidden things to be discovered. He hides things not from us, but for us. Is the glory of God to conceal the matter? Is the glory of kings and queens, that's who we are, to discover it? And so 2021, if you're into prophetic stuff and you're into prophetic numbers, and even if you're not, I'll help you out a little bit. Uh, so 21 is 3 and 7. So it's divine, right, completion. Three is divinity, the, tri the trinity, or the council of the Godhead, if you will, and seven is completion. And so I believe that 2021 is a year that divinely completes a lot of things in people's lives. Some people it's pain, some people it's suffering, some people it's, it's trouble, it's trial, it's travail, some people it's just a chapter closing and a, se and a new season beginning. And we really believe that. In 2022, so what are the factors of 2022? Well, it's uh, 2 times 11, right? 22. 2 is witness. 11 is transition. 2 is also agreement. And I believe that this year is going to be a year of agreeable transition. There's going to be a lot of transitions that happen in people's lives this year. And I believe that, the way, that one of the keys to that transition is not you're going to watch transitions happen. That's the witness part of it. But I believe the second side of it is, is you have to be agreeable to the transitions that are happening in your life. God wants to change you, right? He works through calendars. He works through times. He works through seasons. He works through signs. He works through wonders. He's a living God. He's not God as we define him. He's God as he declares himself to be. And so he works through a Hebrew calendar, and there are two new years in the Hebrew calendar. The new, first new year is Passover. That's, the new, that's their spiritual new year. And he works through Rosh Hashanah, which is the governmental new year. And we saw a lot of things happening, and I believe God is doing a governmental shift over the lives of his people. But I also believe that he works through an earthly calendar, which is, which is our times and our seasons. So while God operates according to a, a, a divine calendar that has two new years, he also will work with our calendar. And he'll use things in that calendar to create significant moments in our life. He's a God of times and seasons. He created time. The evening and the morning were the first day. Time didn't exist until the Lord created it. He created time. And he works within the sphere of time and within the realm of time. And I believe that there's a, there's a time of transition that God wants to bring into your life. There's a time of change that God wants to bring into your life. There's going to be a lot of transitions. A lot of transitions. And you have to be, not only will witness, but you must be agreeable. I, don't, I believe that some of these changes and these transitions, that if you resist them, that change is going to pass you by. If So long as you hold on to what is comfortable to you, and so long as you're not willing to go with the process that God is bringing to change things, that that opportunity will not force itself upon you. Some things he's going to do. He's going to change what he can change. But other things require us to partner. 
There has to be an agreeability on our part or nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. The thing about Jesus is he's a God of change. He loves you too much to leave you the same. We as humans, we like comfortability. We don't want anything to change. Change freaks us out, right? Jesus loves change. He's completely unpredictable. There's patterns that you can understand and ways upon which he moves, and he moves within the patterns of his own nature, but he is, by any means, he's not predictable at all. And he likes change. Say this, the bridge from where I am to where I need to be is called change. You have to be willing to change. You have to. And what's really powerful is, is I believe that God is speaking a message to us prophetically that he, wants to, he, he not only wants to change, he'll change any time. This is transition. I believe it's a transition. I believe your health problems are going to transition, surely, and they're over. It's divinely completed. They're no more. And you're going to transist in a season of probably the most successful period of your life. And you're not going to look over your shoulder and have to struggle with your health and have to wonder with your health. I believe God wants to make that transition with you. Jody's going through a transition. Is it any wonder she gets this job at the first of the year? That's a testimony right there that this word is right from the Lord. She's going to transist. She's transisting out of where she is. She's transisting into another opportunity. She's transisting from the state that she's into, and she's transisting into another realm entirely. It's a season of transition. I believe it. And you have to be willing. You have to be willing to let go of things. You have to be agreeable to this. So I want to do a little bit of a setup for you for some messages probably that are going to come uh, later in the month. And we're, you know, New Year's, we try to set you in a focus and try to give you some direction. And uh, uh, on the 23rd is Dr. David Bernstein. He's going to talk about health and wellness. And I think one of the things we need to understand is health and wellness, right, in America. And so that's, that's one thing. And then we're going to talk about vision. We're going to talk about purpose. We're going to talk about direction just to get you going in that, that way. But I want to set you up in some things. Mankind was created by God with a purpose. Say it with me. I am created on purpose with a purpose. One of those purposes, there's many purposes to that, but the overarching purpose of it all is you were created for family. God wanted a family. He created Adam and Eve as sons and daughters. He's father, right? Jesus reconciled that to us and illuminated that to us because that identity of God had been lost because man had fallen. And so when Jesus prayed, he said, Our Father. That was a shock to the people of his day. They didn't call God Father. They called him Elohim. They called him Master of the Universe, literally. Uh, They didn't call him it. They called him anything. Oh, great divine one. Oh, unapproachable one. One who dwells in unapproachable light. That's how they saw him. Jesus said, No, 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 no. He's Father. To those that are in me, he's Father. You're created to be part of God's family. You're created to experience beauty and wonder. God has created us to experience beauty and wonder. That's why, that's one of the reasons we did it. He could have made the world black and white, but he didn't, did he? He made it full of color. He could have made you without emotion, but he made you with emotion, right? There's brokenness within our emotions, but the emotions are given to us to experience God. We're not to be led by our emotions, but our emotions are given to us in order that we can experience love, we can experience power, we can experience his spirit, we can experience the world in which he's given to us. So we are created with that purpose. We're created to fulfill a destiny. You always knew you were born for something, didn't you? You're, well, man, hallelujah, you're born for something. You're created with a destiny and a purpose in mind. God has structured you to fulfill something in the earth. You heard Jody testifying 
She's always felt the weight of her life was to advocate for the least of these, right? That's not necessarily my calling, but that's not necessarily your calling. But that is what she feels in her heart, that that's what she's advocated for. She's prayed into it, and you, you see it right before your eyes. You see how the kingdom works. You're watching it. You're created to fulfill a destiny. The key is, what is that destiny? All of this became lost when Adam fell. We, when Adam fell and Adam decided to push away from God, which is exactly what the Bible says, is that Adam pushed God away. He didn't push God away. He literally pushed himself away. Greek word harmatia means the hero has fallen, means to offend. Two words for sin in the scripture, harmatia, harmatano. Harmatano means to miss the mark. Harmatia means to offend. One of them condemns us. One of them does not. The, con the sin of condemnation is man's unwillingness to be reconciled to God because man has pushed himself away from the Lord. Therefore, we must return to Jesus. You understand that? This is the whole concept of salvation. It's not, oh, I believe in Jesus. No, you come back to him in submission because you willfully denied him. And you must acknowledge him as Lord. Is this not true? We must confess Christ as Lord. You're God. You're, you're not God. He is. Adam pushed away and said he wanted to be God. And when he did that, he lost the source of life. He was created by love for love. He was created by life for life. And when Adam separated himself from God, man fell. And all who come after him, all of us flow from something called the fountainhead. Adam is the fountainhead of the entire human race. All of us come from Adam. Red, yellow, black, and white. We all come from Adam and Eve. And Adam is the fountainhead of the entire human race. From him, all of us have flown, uh, uh, flowed. And so from that, from that fountainhead of Adam, all of us inherit something that Adam brought into himself. And it's called iniquity. Iniquity is issues in the bloodline. So Adam committed issues. He separated himself from God. All of us inherit that. And then we inherit this sin nature called iniquity. If you know anything about the scripture, Jesus came as the last what? Last man, yep. Another word for man is Adam, came as the last Adam. Why? Because Adam, right, flowed with iniquity. So Jesus comes as the last Adam, and we must be born again, not of the sinful Adam, but of the righteous Adam. Man must be born again. This is the concept. But when Adam fell, when Adam fell mankind himself became lost, completely lost, hopeless and helpless, and every one of us has an intrinsic, these things are called intrinsic questions. So if somebody was to sit you down and they were to look at you and they were to, and, and a sociologist study human behavior and they try to study human nature and they try to understand these things, they actually come up with a list of intrinsic questions. They're questions that every person has within their heart. And these questions exist within our heart because God put them there. When you understand how man was made, man was made as a question. He's made as a question. Adam is the same root as the word manna, same Hebrew root. And what does the word manna mean? What is it? That's what the word, when, they, when God brought bread down from heaven, they called it manna. And they literally said, what is it? So man was created with a question in his heart. God created man from the very beginning with a question in his heart. Who am I? What am I? Why am I? Who is God? Right? What is my purpose? Man was created with a question in his heart. That's how God made us. And so when Adam fell, that sort of quest or that question, or that look, and so that's what actually what question means. It's two Greek words, it's quest and ion. Ion is image, right? 
icon, ion, same, same, or particle. So ion, it's an image or a part of a quest. So when we're asking a question, we're actually entering into a quest. So Adam falls, and when Adam falls, he becomes lost to himself. He becomes lost to his relationships. He becomes lost to his environment. He becomes lost to his God. Everything about Adam's life became lost. You see it in human lives are today. People are struggling with who they are. They don't know who they are. Right? We identify with so many different things. We don't know where we belong. Right? We're completely clueless. We're lost to our purpose. Most people don't know why they exist. They don't know what the purpose is for their life. Even Christians, they're completely lost to that concept. They can be saved and born again, but they're still lost to their purpose and their destiny. And the big one is relationships. We don't have to look far to see how lost we really are in our relationships. Broken business relationships, broken um, family relationships, broken marriages. We're broken. We, we're completely clueless on how to make relationships work because we're lost. When man fell, he became hopeless and helpless and lost in every way. Man without Christ couldn't be more lost. Couldn't be more lost. And we're always looking for answers. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Getting PhDs, multiple PhDs. Got to go to school. Got to learn more. Got to, you know, because we're looking for answers. It's funny because psychology has one of the highest suicide rates of any profession. And people become psychologists so they can figure out what's wrong with them. They can try to find the meaning of life and the answers of life. And having accumulated all this knowledge, they find there's futility there. There's nothing there. Because life doesn't exist in knowledge. Life exists in Jesus. Life doesn't ex exist in a subject. Life exists in a person. In him was life, and that life is the light of men. Right? Jesus is life, and Jesus is light. He's everything. And so you have intrinsic questions. Who am I? This is your identity. You have this question in your heart, right? Who am I? You have another in question is, is heredity. Where do I come from? You have another question. It's called dignity. Do I matter? What is my value and worth? Right? Does anyone see me? You have, another, you have another intrinsic question. It relates to destiny. Where am I headed? And what does it all mean? Every one of us has these questions. What happens too often is that we stop pressing into these questions because we feel that the answers are only frustrating. We don't feel that there's actually an answer to these questions. And so we, excuse me, literally give up on life and we start living these quiet lives. The poet Thoreau said, men leave lives of quiet desperation. They choose safety and security because there's no threat there, right? Over a life of risk and adventure because of the losses that they fear that they may encounter. These areas of man's destiny, man's identity, man's heredity, man's dignity became corrupted by sin. Sin has corrupted them. Man no longer sees himself as he was created. Man no longer sees, his, sees where he comes from as where he has actually come from. Man doesn't perceive his true value and worth. And most people don't pursue their destiny or even understand their destiny. I mean, say it with me. If I don't define it, it'll be defined for me. So we define our destiny as the pursuit of wealth, or we define our destiny as the pursuit of happiness, or we define our destiny as the pursuit of something that brings pleasure into our lives. And no nothing necessarily wrong with those things, but to what end, right? To what end? Why are we pursuing that? Money for the sake of money, empty and vain. Pleasure for the sake of pleasure, empty and vain, right? experience for the sake of experience, empty and vain. I, you can't, I had this person, she was uh, traveling all over the world 
and taking Instagram pictures for, the, for, for two years, you know, all over the world. Grand Canyon, right? You know, kind of, I don't know. Eiffel Tower, you know, all those kind of travel photos. And she came back. And I was like, oh, yeah. I said, I haven't seen you in a while. She's like, oh, yeah. I go, you've been traveling. She's like, oh, yeah. She's like, I can't tell you how empty it is. So she told me. She said, it was so empty. She said, I felt so lost the whole time I was there. I go, well, you didn't look like it. That's Instagram, right? <laughs> we all know the truth. It's not like that. These areas become corrupted when Adam lost, right? So we, what, what, what's happening here is where I want to set you up for, I want to set you up for a comeback. I want to call you to something greater than yourself. I want, to, I want to set you up to come back from where you've been. You can be born again and not truly know your identity. You can be born again and not truly know your identity. We see there are your, your, your heredity. Christians are notorious for this. We're born again, but we really don't know who we are. We're born again, but we really don't know who the Lord is. We're born again, but we continually identify ourselves with an earthly bloodline. We're born again, but we don't really pursue purpose and destiny. It's true. We're born again, but we don't really understand our dignity and our value and our worth. And we are constantly living lives where we lower ourselves. We reduce ourselves. Always. One of the biggest issues God had with his people Israel was not their sin. It was never their sin. The sin was a consequence of a greater action. The greater action was that they lowered themselves. That's actually one of the words for sin is kata. I can't remember the second part of it, but it's kata. The root word of sin in Hebrew, is, it has the word kata attached to it, and it means to reduce or to lower. And so when we sin, we lower ourselves. God said, search heaven and search earth. Find out if this is possible. A man abandons his own God. Can a bride change her ornaments or a leopard change her spots? Yet my people do not come to me days without number. He says, I've, you, you, re you reject the fountain of living water, me, and you drinking water out of dirt holes. Cisterns hewn out with your hands. They're not even wells that you've dug. They're dirt holes that you dug. God's call and command upon his people. He wasn't even naming their actions. He was naming the intent that what you're doing is lowering yourself. You keep lowering yourself beneath the standard that I've established over your life. This is not what you are. This is not who you are. And it plays back into that. We don't really understand our value and worth. We don't really understand who and what we are. And we really don't understand where we're coming from. It's just a fact. In order for this to happen, there's got to be a change and a shift, right? God, the church is created to be an unstoppable force. Unstoppable force. We cannot be stopped. Jesus said the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Did he not say that? And we think, oh, the gates of hell will not prevail against me. We think it's when we're being attacked. Let me ask you a question. When has your gate ever attacked you? Your gate doesn't attack you. You attack the gates. The church is designed to attack the gates of hell. And he said they will resist you, but they cannot endure and cannot overcome. We are an unstoppable force called to bring his kingdom into the world, called to bring his heaven as an earth, called to bring light into the darkness, the cities on a hill. What does that mean? That's what we're supposed to figure out. But we can never figure that out until we answer the few basic questions. This is why the church as a whole is anemic. It's anemic. It's anemic. Jesus said you are salt, and if you don't have salt, you will be good for nothing. What are we really good for? I mean, we worship God and we honor God, but how much change do we really affect in the world? That's the question. We're called to affect change on every level, and how much do we actually do it? This is what the Lord is expecting from his church. This is what he's expecting. We don't have the right to define the destiny of the church when God has esteemed it over us. 
And yet we constantly, what the church does is reduces the identity of the purposes of God's people. Safe and fun for the whole family. I'm all in. Let's have it safe and fun for the whole family. Let's, let's pursue destiny. And let's overcome darkness with light. And let's experience victory, right? And let's watch as those who would oppose, as the, as the enemy that would oppose us now becomes beneath us. Let's watch that. Amen. This is what the church is called to be. Jesus asked his disciples when they were following him, he says, what do you seek? I think the church, I think the pastors need to be asked that question. What do you seek? Why are you doing what you're doing? Christians need to ask that question. Why do you follow the Lord? Well, for safety and security, okay. People say that. I follow him because the Lord keeps me safe and he keeps me protected. It's only one aspect of it. What if he called you to be a warrior? Wake up, warrior. What if he called you to be an overcomer? Wake up, overcomer. What if he called you to rise beyond this anemic position that you hold and to free the lion that he has placed within you? Right? It's all scalable. It's all scalable. Jody's believing to affect change in, in an area within the county. That's just a sphere. Right? People say that and they're like, well, I can't change the world. You can change your world. You can change your world. You know what your world is? Is your oikos. The Bible uses a Greek word oikos for the word household, and it means center of influence. You not, may not be able to change the cosmos, which is the entirety of the world, but you, may, you are definitely empowered to change your oikos, which is your center of influence. Wherever you are, you have a center of influence. Your workplace is a center of influence. Your family is a center of influence. Your friends are center of influence. Your, everything around you, that, that, that closeness is your center of influence. And if everybody began to change their center of influence, well, then we could affect change in scale, right? And some of you will go beyond your centers of influence. In Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the world, that's exactly what he said. You will affect change. This is the command upon the disciple, to affect change. It's on our, come on. It's on our lives. It's what we are. And what the devil loves to do with us is lull us to sleep. Play us a lullaby. Lullaby, baby. You know, if he, can't, if he can't stop us, he gets us to take a nap. Yeah. It's called amuse, to distract. He'll distract us with things and point us in different directions. And too often, church leadership partners with that. We need to focus on the command that God has laid before us upon the destiny that God has laid before us. We are commanded to effect change, period. Amen. And so before we effect change, we have to have a comeback. We have to come back from an identity. We have to come back from a heredity. We have to come back from a dignity. We have to come back from a broken destiny. We have to come back from these things. It's the Greek word for repent, or excuse me, the Hebrew word for repent is teshuva, and it means come back, return. Metanoia is the Greek word. Change the way that you see, change the way that you think. But the Hebrew word is teshuva. And so when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, he wasn't speaking Greek, he was speaking Aramaic Hebrew. And so his word was teshuva. Come back to me, for the kingdom is now. Come back to me, for the dominion and the inbreaking and the ruling and the reign of God is now. This is to what we will be accountable for. The church will stand before, we will stand before the Lord, and our lives will be examined not in light of our sin, but in light of our willfulness to pursue destiny. It's all through the New Testament. Cast off every weight that is set before you and can run the race, that, or cast off every weight that, that binds you and run the race that is set before you. 
reach to attain the high prize of the upward kaleo, the upward calling in Christ Jesus. It's all through the Bible. And if we think we're not going to be accountable for that, we're missing it. And so we have to adapt our lives in such a way that makes our lives relatable to the destiny and the calling and the mandate that God has placed upon it. And every one of us has a responsibility that is an ability to respond to what God is saying. Every believer has a calling at Kaleo. You're called, called out of darkness and into light. But the word at Kaleo, which is the word for calling, means summons. See, if we actually look at the New Testament for what it's saying, it is far more weightier than we give it credit for. We give lollipops and gumdrops at the door. But if you really look at the kavod, at the weight upon which God has speaks to us, it's, it, it, it will change you forever. It will change you forever. The word ekkaleo, the word calling, means to summon. The king has summoned you. He summons you. To do what? To come before me. We are summoned unto him. Why are we summoned unto him? That we might know him and that he might know us. It's not worship at a distance. It's not come and go, check the box. We are summoned unto him. And from him, we receive. We, he knows us, we know him. We develop this intimacy. And from him, we also go forth from him. He calls you unto himself and he sends you forth. Yeah, this is what happens. This is why the church must awaken. The church must rise. We must rise. We are a sleeping giant in the earth, an unstoppable force. And everybody tries to dull us. Everybody tries to quiet us down. Good God, pastors try to quiet other pastors down. Stop talking like that. Don't you rock in the boat. Shh, shh, shh. We're in the middle of a building program, pastor. Don't be saying that stuff. Don't be, don't be rocking the boat. God's called us to destiny. He's called us to destiny. One of the clearest pictures of my life is I will stand before a king. And I will, make I will make an account of my life. And so will you. And what will that accounting be? You gave your life to Christ. That's great. But did you do anything more? Did you pursue me for anything more? Read the parable of the talents. He's entrusted us with something. And he expects us to do something with what he's given us. He expects a return. You say, well, I did a business. Yeah, but did you fund the gospel? I did a family. Yes, but did you raise your children in the knowledge of the Lord? Well, I built a house. Did you affect your neighborhood? Right? We can make it as simple as possible. You know, you can't, reach, you can't reach the high places until you understand the simple things. You can't run with the horses until you can run with the footmen. We have to do the simple things, and then we can achieve the greater things. This is the question. What have we done with our lives? We will give an account, man. I'm telling you now. You're not going to stand before him and say, you didn't tell me. First of all, he's not going to expect that as an excuse. Ignorance will not be accepted as an excuse. People, he, you can look at the Lord and go, I didn't know. And he's going to go, you had my word. Did you not? You had my spirit. Did you not? So there will be no ignorance. We can't claim ignorance when we stand before him. We have to give our lives to this. Jesus must become our obsession. This is literally what it means. He is everything, right? He is everything. He is the all-consumingness of our lives. Some people can't handle that. They can't handle that. They couldn't handle it when he told them in the beginning. The cost of being my disciple. You must love me more than everything else. You must forsake everything else and choose me. And what they do? Anybody know the story? They all walked away. And did Jesus come back and say, wait a minute, I didn't mean it? No, he looks at his disciples and says, you guys want to do this too? You guys want to leave? There's the door, Peter. 
You guys want to go? Is this, too, is this too tough for you, Peter? Is the command for all of your life too tough for you? I'm giving all of my life for you, so is it right or wrong for me to expect the same from you? Is this too tough for you? It's too tough for the 350 that just walked out the door. Is it too tough for you? Peter said, where are we going to go? When you speak, I come alive. Right? Peter was yielded. The word made him come alive. Right? He understood it. Man, it, you know, the one thing you don't want to live is nominal Christianity. I don't even know what that is. But normal Christianity, I've been in this game for a long time. Right? And I just, when Jody told me that word on Christmas Eve, and she told me, like, when we were discussing, like, what God is doing, and I told her, you know, she's like, what you said, you know, she's like, almost everything that you, you know. And I, I looked at the, there was another guy standing there. I go, why, why would we want to live as average when we can access power, right? Why would we want to trust doctors? And I'm not against doctors when we can watch the great physician work and confound the doctor, right? Jesus doesn't have a problem with doctors. He's got a problem with being second, right? Lay hands on the sick. Pursue the promises. This is, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a higher level of Christianity. I, t- I tell this to people all the time. I have talked to Christians. You know what I tell them? If you want to be average, you won't have to go far. You're not going to have to go far. There's plenty of average in the kingdom of God. There's average everywhere. Everybody's average. You want to dumb it down? They'll dumb it down for you. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. There's plenty of that. And you can fit right in with the average. And you can think that the average are exceptional when they're not. Because they're not. We're called to a higher standard. We're called to a higher place. And this is a transition for some of you in this coming year, this 2022, this witness or agreeable transition. You need to make an agreeable transition that you're not going to live an average Christian life anymore. That you don't want to be, you don't want to be a casual Christian. Casual Christianity's got to go out the window. You're transitioning to something else. You're going all in. You're going all in. What's it look like to go all in? I can tell you what it looks like to go all in. I went all in. When I became a Christian, I went all in. All in. I didn't even question it. I went all in. I figured when I went part of my subconscious, I didn't know anything about this Jesus. I knew, you know, my grandma, I, you know, gave my life. I said the prayer when I was a kid, but I didn't know anything about him or what he wanted. I saw him completely different than what he actually was, and I went all in. I went all in. I never stopped. I haven't looked back. And I went all in because I wanted to see, does this really work? Is this really true? Is this really true? And so I held nothing back. Read your Bible, pray, commit and connect to church, financially give and live on mission. That's all in. That is called the Radical Five. This is what our logo represents. Those five things are represented by our logo. That is the minimum standard of all disciples. This isn't even some high calling. This is the minimum standard. Most Christians' lives cannot move forward because they refuse to do one or all of those five things. They will not read their Bible. They will not pray. They will not commit and connect to church. They come to church as casual attenders. They refuse to financially give by the full tithe, and they will not get involved in the mission of Jesus. You cannot go higher than the commitment to those five base. That is basic training. You're not getting out of basic training until you start doing those five things. It's why your life loops. You keep looping, keep wondering why we're playing here we go around the mountain. And you go, why, God? Why, God? Why do I constantly stay in this situation? Why don't things change? You will not understand my word. You refuse to commune to me in a level of prayer that relates to intimacy. You will not connect to my church in any way. You treat it as an afterthought. You refuse to financially give. You will not give the full tithe. You make excuses. And you won't get involved in ministry. Any questions? This is how he talks to us. 
What you've got to realize too, Christian, if you want change and transition, Jesus isn't always going to talk to you like koozie, koozie, koo. He's father, but he's king. You understand that? And so his language in our life is not always as father. Sometimes his language in our life is Lord. Sometimes his language in our life is king. Do as your king commands. Are there captains, are there, are there princes and princesses, are there sons and daughters that will do as their king commands? That's the question. You know, we, we, we wonder why our lives are dysfunctional, and it's not because of God, it's because of us. We have to activate and go into these things. I did everything that, everything that was there. I said, I'm living in my car if I have to, but I'm going to give the full tithe. I'm going to put a stick in my teeth. I'm not going to be a liar. I'm not going to be Ananias and Sapphira. I'm not going to pretend like I give the tithe and I don't, Right? I'm going to do it. If I have to eat ramen noodles, I'm going all in. I'm going to commit and connect to church. I'm going to become a functioning part of the ministry that God has put me under. I'm going to sit down and shut up. I know nothing. I'm going to sit in the seat of the learner, and I'm going to do whatever the ministry needs of me. We have way too much ego for that. We have too, way too much pride for that. Oh, don't tell me. Don't ask anything of me that inconveniences me. Well, then your life stays the same. Your life will not transform. Just be okay with that. You don't have to do anything anybody asks of you. That's right, you're a free moral agent. But don't expect your life to transform if you will not willfully commit yourself to these things. I'm just saying. If you will not pray and engage God in intimate prayer of conversation and dialogue and learning to hear his voice. This is why we do schools. We don't do schools to teach you a new trick. We do schools to bring you into depths of communion that you, you don't understand. We teach you how to hear the voice of God. We teach you how to commune with the Lord. We teach you how to hear a prophetic word. Not just activate in power. The first step is the communion of the Spirit with His Spirit and learning to hear the testimony of His Spirit in your spirit. We don't grow because we will not engage these things. And if you cannot engage at that level, people think, oh, you're such a mature Christian. No, you're a baby. You just got out of, you just got out of preschool. You just moved out of kindergarten. Now you're in first grade. You read your Bible, you pray, you commit and connect to church, you financially give and you live on mission. Congratulations, you just made it into first grade. If you cannot contend with the footmen, how will you compete with the horses? This is why we live nominal existences is because the focus of our lives is not related to the things that our Father wants. That the focus of our lives is not related to the things that our King works. This kingdom works. This kingdom is dominion. This is dominion. We, we, we seek to walk in dominion here. Nothing will dominate us except the word of the Lord. No circumstance will dominate me. No, no situation will dominate me. No disease, no sickness, nothing will dominate me except the king's dominion. And I will settle for nothing. I refuse to lower myself. And the enemy will have no right of accusation against me. It's called integrity. It means the ship is leakless. There's no leaks. It's what happens, man. Just another story for another day. But this change requires a shift. You have to have harmony with the Lord in order to activate the things that he has. Harmony first begins with giving your life to Jesus. You have to give your life to Jesus and you come into relationship with him. And we think that's enough. Say with me, that's not enough. Born again gets you out of sin and gets you into the doorway of the kingdom. You're now in the kingdom. But that doesn't do anything else for you beyond that unless you engage it. You say, I don't believe that. I get pastors and leaders and go, oh, I don't believe that. I don't believe we need to do anything. Jesus has done it all. And I'm like, look at your life. What has your life produced? 
Look at believers who have walked for 10, 15, 25, 30 years. Is their life productive? Do you see kingdom manifestation? It's because if, we, if, if it just merely being born again was enough, we should be the most lit up people in the world. It's not enough. We have to activate the very things that God has given to us. We have to come into harmony with his spirit through becoming born again. And then we have to come into harmony with communion by reconciling all of our lives to him. These are truths, Christian. If you want 2022 to be different than 2021, you've got to do what you've never done. If you want what you've never had, you have to do what you've never done. The definition of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. That's what stupid means. Stupid is a stupid does. Well, that's what stupid is and that's what stupid does. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting it to be different. You have to change. You have to be willing to do what you've never done before. You have to be willing to demonstrate faith into the things that God says. It's not easy. It's not convenient. It's never convenient. None of these things become activated without harmony. and None of these things come, become activated with intimacy and obedience. It's not enough to be, be intimate. No, and again, we have to address the issues within our generation. We, we preach certain things, but we don't take it far enough. We talk about sons and daughters. This is a conversation the church has had. We're all sons and daughters. We're all loved of God. I'm like, what does it mean to be a son and daughter? Do you have any idea what it means to be a son and daughter? No, we're just sons and daughters of God. Sons and daughters are about their father's business. That's number one, right? So don't, don't stand. You, you can take the position of a son and daughter as far as identity, but you're not really going to activate what it really means to be a son and daughter until you start being about your father's business. Then you activate the kingdom, Right? Jesus said there was a son who said he would do it, and he didn't. There was a son who said he wouldn't do it, and he did it. Which one's the son? The one who said he wouldn't and did. So sonship and daughtership is directly related to obedience. Obedience is when you don't want to. <laughs> when you want to, that's called agreement. When you don't want to, that's called obedience. Right? It's true. So true. We have to be willing to be obedient with the Lord. We have to be willing to step into these things. We have to be willing to do this. We think that intimacy is enough. We're just going to get intimate with the Lord. And we create these, we create these crazy worship experiences, which are great. But they, people never follow that up with actually following the Lord. It creates engagement, but it doesn't create obedience. We have to go beyond engagement with the Lord. Engagement's great. Okay, let's all come into intimacy. Great. We're now in a place where we're learning to experience and encounter the Lord. And we think that's it. That's not it. That's a, that's a place for you to go forward from and begin to obey God and begin to manifest power into every area of your life. All of us are born, by, by, born of natural birth. So I want to just talk to you a little bit about this. There are no accidental children. There's accidental parents, but there are no accidental children. The Bible teaches us that conception is of the Lord. So you might have been your parents' accident, but you weren't God's accident. So when a child is conceived, the Bible says that he puts, a, he puts a calling on that child's life. You had a calling on you before your conception. When God conceives, God says, I'll take it. That's a kaleo. This child is conceived. I'll take that. I'll take that child. I'll take that child. I'll take that child. I'll take that child. He puts a calling on everybody. There are no accidental children. They're accidental parents. God chooses everyone that, that is conceived. We're born of natural birth, right? So we're born of the earth. 
natural birth. We inherit all of these natural things because of our natural birth. When we are born again, we are called to leave the qualities of our natural birth behind. And she say that again. Why don't you guys say it with me? When I become born again, I am called to leave behind all of the qualities of my natural birth. You are no longer to see yourself as born of the earth, Christian. You're not only no longer connected to your Scottish heritage or your Cuban heritage or your Spanish heritage or your, your Haitian heritage, whatever your heritage might be. You are no, that is no longer your identity point. God is not, that, heaven now becomes your identity point. You are no longer connected to that. And a lot of things that happens, this is a perception issue that Christians can't leave behind their, their earthly heritage. <laughs> Jesus, your mother's at the door. He's in the middle of a meeting. How many of you would get up and leave if your mother was at the door? Right? Oh, my mom's at the door. Sorry, guys, I got to go. Jesus just looked and said, who's my mother? Who's my brother? Who are my sisters? Who are they? They that hear the word of God and do it. He never taught the brotherhood of man. He never taught the family, the family dynamic. He taught the brotherhood and the family of believers. That is, again, a very hard pill for us to swallow, right? The blood that flows through our veins is more connectable to one another than it is to our own natural family. This is who and what we are. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're supposed to leave behind the natural birth line of our family, right? And we're supposed to pursue the kingdom. Let me first bury my father. What did Jesus say? Anybody? Let the dead bury the dead. Oh, yeah, go attend to your father. That's harsh. How, would, how, do we, how do we perceive that? How do we connect with that? We have to connect with it with the understanding that God has called us away from that and unto something greater. Unto something greater. All of us are born of natural birth. There are no accidental children. All of you have a kaleo, an ek kaleo. You have a summons and a calling on your life. When you become born again, you're supposed to leave that stuff behind. We're to take on the new creation. We're to become who we are destined to be. It's not who your mother says you are anymore. What your mother's opinion of you doesn't, is irrelevant. What your father's opinion of, is, of you is irrelevant. What your brother's and sister's opinions of you is irrelevant. What your, what your peer group's opinions of you are irrelevant. We're to take on the destiny and the calling that God has placed upon us. We're to embrace hallelujah. That's good news, right? We're to become who God has called us to be. We're to stand and rise. People, and that's great news for people who come from broken backgrounds. Bible says this, if my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will never forsake me. If my mother and father don't want me, Jesus always wants me. Right? Amen. It's true. We're to take on the identity of the new creation. We're no longer born of that. I'm born of this. It's a shift. Brokenness exists in all of our earthly lineage. We have, to, we have to break covenant with our earthly lineage. We have to begin to live as, as who we are, sons and daughters of the highest. We must become born-again believer. The job of the born-again believer is to reconcile heaven and earth. We are to be about our Father's business. We're to be about our Father's will. What's our Father's will? This is a great question, right? So it's all about questions, remember? Jesus said, on earth, our, your, his kingdom come, his will be done, what? On earth as it is in heaven. So what is, what is the mandate? That we are to bring the king's dominion on earth as it is in heaven. That we are to bring the king's will on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what does that look like? That's the question. That requires us to engage with the Lord as to what that means in our own lives. It begins, first of all, with you. Before it begins in your world, it begins with you. Every area of your life is to be reconciled with the Lord on earth as it is in heaven. 
And it, one of the things it begins with is the way that you think. You're supposed to reconcile. This is what happens. This is why, this is again, if we want to know why our lives are stagnant, they're stagnant for a reason if you're a Christian. A Christian's life should never be stagnant. The Bible promises you that he will move you from glory to glory to glory to glory. It should be one in, endless life of adventure, one endless life of victory. You'll go through fire, but you won't be burned. You'll pass through waters, but the waters won't overtake you. Right? Terror will threaten you, but it can't touch you. And it's a story of victory after victory after victory after victory. And then we stand upon the witness stand of our life. What's supposed to happen is the elders among us are to testify of the goodness and the greatness of God. We're supposed to live such exemplary lives that the elders among us stand and say, I've walked with the Lord for 30 years and let me tell you the victory. I've walked with the Lord for 40 years and let me tell you the victory. Let me tell you who he is. Let me tell you what he's done. But now you know what we do? This is what our elders do. Well, just going to hold on till Jesus comes. Well, brother, many are the afflictions of the righteous, you know, trials of Job and all. That's not what he wants from us. He wants a living testimony among his people of his power and his greatness, that he is alive today, and that he is doing great and mighty works in the earth. This is what he wants. And by the grace of God, this is what I desire to give him. This is what this church is desiring to give him. We want to give the Lord what he wants, not what we want, what he wants. What do you want, Lord? I want testimony, Kevin. I want signs and wonders revealed to my people that show them the goodness and the greatness of who and what I am. Yeah? I want walking giants who face insurmountable odds and cannot be defeated. This is what I want. This is what he wants. Amen. <laughs> he doesn't want anemic and pathetic believers. Look, at, look like, like we could take all the stories of the Bible. You can start extracting God's point of view from some of these stories. Look at the story of David and Goliath. Oh, David and Goliath. Oh, bless God, David and Goliath. Oh. Yeah, seems like a fairy tale, but let's look at it. The army of the Lord was sitting in a valley, and they were anemic. Anemic. Powerless, weak, trembling, cowardly leaders in the face of a threat that to their natural eye seemed insurmountable to them. Their perception was upon what they faced, not who they were. Huh? Long comes David. David, God didn't give him a word. The Lord didn't come down and give him a prophetic word. David didn't have a revelation of, of, from God at that moment. He just looked at this guy and said, who is this guy who defies the army of the living God? Who's this dude think he is? Do you not know who we are? Do you not know what we are? And they're all like, whoa, oh, 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 oh. here, take the king's armor. David's like, I can't work with this. I can't work with this. I will work with what God has taught me to work with. And he slayed the giant. Identity and perception, right? But where was the masses? Where were the masses? Weak, cowardly, shaking in their tents. Because some giant comes marching out. Who will face me? Look at our generation. The church is to rise in up and to be a voice in the midst of all of this stupidity. We are to speak life into the, into the stupidity that surrounds us. We are to speak fearlessness into the fear that surrounds us. Well, what happens? Who will defy me? And all the church goes, oh. Oh, ooh, ah, ah, ooh. Leaders will not rise. They will not. 
It's weak and anemic, Christian. Weak and anemic. It's not kingdom. It's not kingdom. We can call it anything we want, but it's not kingdom. And the Lord wants kingdom. You can call it anything you want, but we are called to rise up. We are called to be lions, not lambs. We are lions, right? We are warriors. Born-again believers are called to sanctify and bring heaven to earth. It's called sanctification. So you become born again, and you're supposed to set things out of your life. The word sanctification means you set it apart. I had a conversation with a young man recently, and he's talking to me about his music. How he, Oh, I just love this music. I love this music. And I start telling him what you put in your heart defies you. And I said, your, ear, your eyes are a gate to your heart. Your ears are a gate to your heart. And I said, that music that you're listening to is corrupting you. And I said, and that corruption within your heart is what's coming out of you. And it's actually working as a barrier against you and the Lord. And he said, oh, I, I, you know, I, I, he's like, oh, I, I don't need the music. I just like it. I said, really? I said, you like it? Give it up for 30 days. I said, if you can't give your music up for 30 days, you don't have the music and music has you. He, di- he didn't make it a week. He didn't make it five days. He's like, oh, I can do that. I can do that. And I said, okay. He didn't make it. And I tried to tell him, see, you don't have the music. The music has you, right? You have to sanctify yourself. You have to cut things out of your life. You have to cut people, places, and things out of your life. I became a Christian. I cut myself off from so many things for about three years. <laughs> I was good Jesus. Oh, you're good little Jesus boy. You're good little Jesus. Oh, you holier than now? Oh, you're just a Puritan now, are you now, Kevin? Call me what you want. Call me what you want. Your opinion of me doesn't matter. I know what I'm doing. You have no idea. You have no understanding of what's happening, but God will sanctify you. He will change you. He will transition you. If you can't give it up for 30 days, you don't have it. It has you. Just a thought. We're called to reconcile our areas of our life. We're called to, be, we're called to walk in sanctification. When, sanctification is not necessarily holiness. It's putting things out of our life that become barriers to the relationship. If your sailboat is a barrier to you coming to church on Sunday, you need to sell the sailboat. Oh! <gasps> Oh, no, don't say that. You know, there's, there's so many areas of our life that if it's a barrier between you and what the Lord has said, it needs to be removed. That's sanctification. Anything that keeps you from the Lord, anything that gets in the middle of the Lord, Jesus is everything. He's everything. He must become everything. Transformation. Transformation is moving from one state to another. You want change? You want God to create this transition in your life? There's a process of sanctification that you must engage in this year. And you know what? Let's just make it real simple. Most people can't digest the fullness of the sanctification that they need. And so you just ask the Lord. Just say, ask, let's ask him. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to show me two or three areas of my life this year that you want to sanctify, that you want to set apart. He's, you know what he's going to do? He's going to show you. I'm going to show you. Yeah. You'll see. <laughs> transformation. Transformation begins with the way that you think. You have to change the way you think. Healing and restoration. You have to stop thinking the way that you've been thinking. Healing and restoration. This is the next side. You have to change the way. You have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed by the way that you think. You have to stop seeing and perceiving yourself as you were. You have to see yourself as God sees you. He sees you as a son. He sees you as a daughter. You you cannot lower yourself beneath that standard. We do it all the time. You have to tell yourself, I will not lower myself beneath the standard that God has established over me. 
I will not allow another to lower me beneath the standard that God has established over me. I'm a son on my worst day. I'm prince of this world and the world to come. You say you don't look like it. It doesn't matter if I look like it. It's what I am. And it's what you are in Christ. And you have to refuse to allow yourself to be lowered. You are a son and a daughter on your worst day. That's who you are. And you have to perceive yourself in light of that. We're sinners saved by grace. Well, if that's your perception, that's why you can't move forward. The highest calling and the highest level of understanding is sons and daughters. Yeah, it's a progression of understanding. And you see it with believers all the time. You see believers down here, oh, just sinners saved by grace. Look at their lives. Look at their lives. They reflect a sinner saved by grace. Oh, we're friends of God. We're just friends of God. Oh, we're great friends with God. Look at their lives. And you see a reflection of somebody who's just whimsically the friend of God. And then look at those lives of the people who believe and understand and know that they're sons and daughters. They know who they are. They know what they are. And they know what belongs to them. And you'll see an entirely different world. It's a progression of understanding. You have to be willing to do that. Healing and restoration. We all need restoration. You all need healing. You're born broken. You have to commit to a process you have to be willing, if you want transition, this is what this message is all about. I'm trying to set you up to get into a mindset of thinking, to get you into a mindset where this can actually shift in your life, where these things can actually happen in your life in 2022. Anybody want that to happen, right? Do you want another year to go by that was the same as the year before, right? Do you not want a transition that God is promising? Do you want to stand on the threshold of 2022 and say, look where the Lord has done in my life this year? Do you want that? These are the elements that are required. You have to be willing to commit to a process. If you're going to change, you have to be willing to commit to a process. We're very comfortable with earthly things. We're very comfortable with things staying the same. You need, to, you need recovery. You need to be born again. You need to be discipled. Discipleship relates to obedience. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? It's discipleship, right? Discipleship means you're a learner under discipline. You learn from the Lord and you discipline your life to do what he says. That's the whole word disciple, right? Well, we're just Christ followers. No, we're disciples. Jesus said, go into all the world and make what? That's right. He didn't even tell us to make converts. He tells us to make disciples, convert them and get them to follow me in obedience and discipline. So at, the, at the root of what we are, we're, to be, we're disciples. The disciples set things apart. What is, it, what, is, what is holding you back from becoming who you are? What excuse do you carry that keeps you from holding back? Some of you, your sanctification of excuses. You may say, Lord, where do you want me to be sanctified? What do you want me to sanctify this year? And he's going, I want you to sanctify your excuses. I want you to stop giving me excuses. I, I don't want to hear your excuses, so set that apart from your life. Stop complaining. How about the sanctification of complaints? Stop saying I'm a burden. Hmm? So he told Israel, stop complaining about me. Stop saying what I ask of you is a burden. Yeah? They asked him. They say, why do we cry out to you and you do not hear? The Lord's like, well, I'm glad you're asking me the question. So now that we're having this conversation, I can explain some things to you. You point the finger, you accuse others, you strike with the fist, you make 15,000 excuses, you say everything that I ask of you is a burden. Oh, coming to church. Oh, I got to go to church. Oh, God. Again? Oh. That's what we are, right? Got to give my tithe. Oh, I got to give money. Oh, oh I got to serve. Oh. Oh. 
You mean I got to go to church more than, more than five times a year? Oh, God. Oh, my God. I got to pray. Oh, God, I got to pray. <laughs> Am I getting too close to home, huh? Is that what's happening? <laughs> like, wow, Kevin, you're like really coming at us, right? I'm not coming at you. I'm coming for you. I want your life to change. I want your life to change. Do you not want your life to change? Right? If you're not willing to have, do business with yourself, nobody's going to do business with you. If you can't have a hard conversation with yourself, nobody's going to do business with you. I have hard conversations with myself all the time. <laughs> Quinn sent me a picture of some dude doing Taekwondo because I do this. <laughs> I said, you got to go to the mirror and give yourself a few high karate sometimes. You got to wake yourself up. You got to remind yourself who you are. You got to remind yourself what the Lord has said. You got to wake yourself up. If you don't wake yourself up, nobody's going to. You have to commit to the process. You have to change. You're free to choose, but you're not free from the consequences of your choices. We're called to recover, restore our identity. We're called to recover, restore our heredity. We're called to recover and restore our dignity. We're called to recover and restore our destiny. We're called to recover this. God has set it for us. He's put the power in us, but we must engage it. If you don't engage in the recovery of your identity, nobody's doing it for you. Nobody could make you the person you don't want to be. Let me just say that again. Nobody can make you the person you don't want to be. So if you're not willing to enter in and recover your identity and begin to grab hold of who God says you are, nobody's doing it for you. You have to do it. If you're not willing to step in and recover your, your heredity, your inheritance that's related to who you are, born of heaven, no one's doing it for you. No one can do for you what God has set in for you. You have to do it. If you're not willing to do the business that integrates or that determines or separates you from your value and worth, no one's doing it for you. If you're not willing to engage in your destiny, it's not happening. This is a big thing with Christians. They have this prophetic vision. They feel like God gave them a vision. I tell them the vision is nothing more than an invitation. The vision is not a guarantee. The prophetic word is an invitation. It's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. Jody had to apply for that job, did she not? She didn't know that was part of her prophetic word. It's an invitation. Step forward from where you are. This is a vision for your life. Step forward from where you are. It's not a guarantee. If, no, if you don't do it, no one's doing it for you. I refuse to stay the same, and so should you. 2022 should not be the same as 2021. It shouldn't be the same spiritually. It shouldn't be the same emotionally. It shouldn't be the same. You should refuse it. If you want to keep it the same, then hey, have at it. But I don't want it to be the same, and I'm telling you how to get there. I'm telling you how to get there. The devil wants to keep you in your natural state. This is what you got to realize. You're called to recover these things. You, you have the capacity to recover these things. You're called to recover these things, and you have a devil that wants to keep you where you are. Remember, he wants to make you, make you go to sleep. The enemy will more than willfully partner with you with natural things. We're very comfortable with natural things. And so what the enemy does in our lives is he conflicts our identity. If you are the son of God, did he not say that to Jesus? He's in confliction with our identity. Oh, you think you're a son of the highest? Well, who do you think you are? You think you're an heir of this world and the one to come? Well, who do you think you are? I think I'm who Jesus says I am. I didn't send in a resume for this. This title was given to me, and it's given to all believers. I choose to embrace it. I choose to own it. I choose to wear what the king gives me, right? Even if I don't understand it. Even if I don't feel worthy of it, I'm worthy not because I say I'm worthy. I'm worthy because he says I'm worthy. I don't determine my value and worth, and neither do you. You do not have the right to determine your value and worth. 
The only one who has the right to determine your value and worth is Jesus. You can let other people determine your value and worth. You can let your choices determine your value and worth. You can let your circumstances determine your value and worth. Or you can let Jesus determine your value and worth. And you have to live from that. I live from the point that I'm loved on my worst day. I live from the point that God is for me even when I'm against me. You have to live from that place. The devil wants to conflict your identity, confuse your heredity, right? He wants to mix everything up. Are you really born of heaven? Do you really have an inheritance? He wants to destroy your dignity. He's always attacking our value and worth. Oh, God doesn't love you. If God loves you, then things wouldn't be so hard for you. If God loves you, then things would be different. If God loves you, you would have got that Mercedes AMG for Christmas, yeah, or that iPhone 5250, whatever. He doesn't love you. Who told you that? And he wants to prevent your destiny, and he works through natural means. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come to give you life and life to the full. God's desire is to bring you to fullness. God's desire is to lift you higher. The enemy's trying to keep you from it, right? And you have to make a decision. You're not going to do that. One of the areas that, that we really need help with is indignity. And I'm just going to spend a little bit of time here, and I'm going to move on. We last slide. We don't receive from the Lord or pursue things from God or step into what we are because we don't feel worthy a lot of times. We know we're worthy, but we don't feel worthy, right? And what happens is, is one of the things that happens in our life and one of the things, the way that God wants to deal with us, say this with me, healing is at the point of pain. Yeah, yeah, that hurt, didn't it? Say it again, healing <laughs> is at the point of pain. If you're not willing to go to the point of the pain, you're never going to be healed. And you know where Jesus goes? To the point of pain. What's the doctor do, right? You ever go to a natural doctor? What are they doing? They're poking on you. What are they trying to find? The point of pain, right? That's what they're trying to do. Healing is at the point of pain. But what happens is, is that in our lives, particularly emotionally, the emotional pain that we carry makes us very vulnerable. Huh? Don't get quiet on me now. The emotional pain and the damage and the stuff that goes on inside of us that controls us and manipulates us and the older you get, the more you become aware of it or the more you become hardened in it. The emotional pain that exists within us makes us vulnerable. And so what happens is your ego rises always to defend what is vulnerable. That's why people get in arguments when they feel insecure. Because ego always rises to defend what is vulnerable. And the enemy loves to partner with the ego. And so when you let ego rise, you need to apologize. I'm not apologizing. I'm not apologizing. Why? Because you feel vulnerable. Your ego will always defend what is vulnerable. But your ego is not a partner with the Lord. Your ego is an element of your pride, selfish pride. And your selfish pride, that's what the enemy fuels. And when he fuels it, he's actually preventing you from dealing with what is most vulnerable for you. And so this begins the, religion, or the, the, the constant cycle of pain in our lives because our ego defends what is vulnerable. Christians are masters of this. There is nobody, I don't think there's a class of people in the earth that are, than, than cultured Christians that are better at defending the vulnerable with ego. We come to church on Sunday and we act like we got it all together. Oh, bless God, hallelujah, brother. You know, we want everything to look perfect, everything to be without blemish, everything to be without flaw. That's impossible. 
<laughs> we want everything to be without blemish. We want everything to be without flaw. That's impossible. That's right. It's impossible. We have to be a people that understand each other and allow each other to be vulnerable and be broken, right? Vulnerability doesn't mean that we accept everything that's going on in each other's lives. It just means, hey, I understand. I've been there, man, right? I've been through the same thing too, right? I've raised two kids. I've been married 30 plus years. I get it. I understand it. I come from a broken background. I get it. I get it. You have to, we have to avoid ego. Ego is what keeps you from being healed. Ego makes you, makes you defensive, and it defends the vulnerability within you. We make excuses. We have to be healed in the levels of our dignity and worth. You don't have the tools to fix yourself. This is a big one. Let's just say this together. I do not have the tools. Come on, it's freeing. This is liberating. It's all about whom the sun sets free. I do not have the tools to fix myself. If I did, I'd already be fixed. Is that not true? You don't have the tools, but Jesus does. You don't have the tools to fix you. Happy day. Have a Cinnabon. Have a Christmas cookie. That's good news. Relax. <laughs> Jesus is expecting you to do the best that you can in the circumstances you're in with the tools that you have. That is his expectation of you. And if he expects only that from you, then you should expect nothing more of yourself. With these standards of perfection, you don't have the tools for that situation, but he expects you to do the best you can with what you have. So he expects. And he certainly expects you to change if, that, if you keep dysfunctioning in that area. And what happens is we run away from what, what we fear will expose us. We run away from relationships because we fear that relationship will expose us. We like to pretend. We like to keep everything on the surface level. We like to keep everything at a distance. We run away from small group, Bible studies, little things like that, or even churches that matter, because it, it, we fear it will expose us. Anything that will cause us to be exposed, we by nature, because of our ego, want to run from it. You need to recognize that about yourself because that's there. Men run from intimacy with their wives. Don't get quiet on me, right? They do. They run from intimacy with their wives because they feel it exposes them. They don't want to seem weak, right? You're talking about paradoxes, man. There's a paradox. The woman loves the man's weakness. It's crazy, right? She likes it when he's vulnerable and weak. We don't like it. I don't like feeling vulnerable and weak. But my wife likes it when I'm vulnerable and weak. Because she was taken from my heart, right, or from my rib, and she wants to get right back up in there, you know? It's true. She wants right back in there. She wants to know, right? We like to project. So this is one of the reasons why men don't want intimacy with their wives, because it exposes them. And so their ego comes up and they create this distance gap between their wife because they don't want the intimacy because the intimacy makes them feel vulnerable and in their vulnerability they feel exposed. And we don't like it. Just a thought. Don't shout me down. <laughs> you got to put the work in. There are no quick fixes. Recover your identity. Stop allowing other people to define you. Right? You want to recover your identity? Stop letting other people define you. Who do you let define you? Who's defining you? Who tells you who you are? Who tells you what you are? What or who are you allowed to define you? Well, I'm a carpenter. No, you're a son of the highest who is a carpenter. No one has the right to define you but Jesus. And it begins with sonship and daughtership. And you have to come back to that anchor point because everything comes from there. You want to recover your identity? Number one, stop letting people to define you. And say this, if I do not define it, someone else will. 
So really, newsflash, if you don't define you, other people will. If you will not take a stand and understand in your heart who and what you are, other people are going to define you. They will do it by default. They will do it by default. If you don't define the circumstance, other people will define it. If you don't define the relationship, other people will define it. If you don't define it, other people will. You have to recover your heredity. You have to see yourself as born of heaven and not of earth. And stop acting like you're born of the earth because you're not. Stop drawing your life from the earth because that's not where your life comes from. In him we live, move, and have our being. Your life comes from heaven. You have to learn a communal relationship in the spirit. You have to learn how to, how to engage the Lord from heaven to earth. You have to learn what it means to walk in the mind of Christ and the will of the spirit. That's an exercise. It doesn't come natural to us. We have to learn it. We have to develop it. We have to discover it. But this is how it is. You recover your heredity. Recover your dignity. Deal with your junk. What is it that assaults your value and worth? What is it that makes you feel unworthy? What is it that makes you feel unaccepted? Has the Lord ever told you you're not worthy? No. Has the Lord ever told you you're not accepted? No. So if the Lord's never told you you're not worthy and the Lord's never told you you're not accepted or the Lord's never told you you're not good enough, yet in your heart you believe it, then what you believe is a lie. I didn't say you believed it in your head. You believe it in your heart. You believe you're not good enough. Did Jesus ever tell you that? No. He's the only one who has the right to define your value and worth. He's the only one. What lie do you believe? Where did that lie come from? A wound, a trauma, a pain? You have to deal with that junk. You have to recover your destiny. You're on purpose with a purpose. To know the Lord, to be known by the Lord, to impact your world with his, with his glory and the common good. You have to recover your destiny. You have to see yourself more than common, Christian. I tell you, why would you accept to be common when you're called to be exceptional? Why would you want to be average? It's easy to be average. You want to be average? Anybody here want to be average? Right? Ask a little kid, what do you want to be? I want to be average. Right? They want to be astronauts and firemen and moms and nurses. And they want to be something significant. Singers, you know. <laughs> they don't want to be, they're like, I just, want to, I just want to kind of get by. That's what I want to do. I just want to hanker down until Jesus comes. That's what I'm trying to do. You have to recover your destiny. Know the Lord. Be known by the Lord. Impact your world with his glory and the common good of others. You need recovery. So what's the recap? You need recovery. You have to come to the point where you have, there's, these, there's something or all of these areas of your life that have to be addressed. Maybe it's too much for you to do it in 2022. Maybe it is. I don't know. But you're going to have to start addressing some of them if you want change because you cannot if you will not. You cannot change if you will not do these things. You have to be willing to do it. Or we're pretending and we're playing a game, right? We, this is the thing. I, I, am, I, began, I stand where I stand because I don't want to be like everybody else. Right? I, I, I didn't ask to be a pastor. I could go and do other things. The Lord told me to do this. I've run from it for many times. And I say, why do you need me? Because you have something to say. I'm like, everybody's got something to say. He's like, not like you. I didn't want to be like everybody else. I refuse to accept average. I refuse to accept average. You want average? Don't go. Yeah, that's what I tell you. You don't have to go far. You want to be common? You don't have to go far. There's lots of common. Lots of common. But if I can be exceptional, I want to be exceptional, right? Amen. Come on, surely. Yeah, if I can be exceptional, I want to be exceptional. If I'm exceptional, I'll not always be accepted. So if you want to be accepted, you'll never be exceptional. 
because the Lord is going to cause you to do things that not always will be accepted by people. Amen? You need recovery. You need to commit to a process. You need to be willing to do it. You need, you need to realize, I need some changes in my life, and these are some areas that I need to change. I need, some er- I need some changes in my life, and I need to commit myself to a process. People think they want to get screwed up. I do inner healing, right? And they, they, their lives are jacked up for 40 years, and they come in, and they think one inner healing session is going to free them. I'm like, you jacked your life up for 40 years. You think one inner healing session is going to free you? A, a 10 months of inner healing is going to free you. The fact that you can be free within a year should be a miracle to you because you've screwed this thing up over 40 years. God, there's a few things you've got to unwind here. There's a few things we've got to unpack. There's a few things that need to be restored and delivered from. Just the thought. People think it's a Shazam thing. It's not always a Shazam thing. The enemy uses natural means against you. You need to realize that. You need to deal with your junk. And you need to see this as an opportunity and not a burden. What, what an opportunity that the one who was full of truth would tell us the truth. What an opportunity that God would love us so much that he would, he would refuse us to leave us the same. What an opportunity. So which one are you going to commit to? You want to commit to your heredity? You want to commit your, to your identity? You want to commit to your dignity? You want to commit to your destiny? If you know you're a son and daughter, then begin to draw from your inheritance. Take that step. If you're not anywhere, then begin with, begin with identity. But if you know that you're a son and daughter and in your heart you believe it, then start drawing from your inheritance and make 2022 a year where you begin to activate your heredity. You begin to activate your inheritance. And if you're activating your inheritance but you're still having a problem because the value and worth issue keeps stripping you up, then you got to deal with the issues within your heart, the damage in your heart, the dignity issues. If you can't be vulnerable, you have a dignity issue. You know, there ain't no issue with vulnerability. I'll tell you my, all my junk, my, all my junk's out there. You say, how can you be so vulnerable? Because I've dealt with my dignity. Am I there? No, I haven't arrived, but I'm on a journey. I'm not going to religiously pretend that I'm something that I'm not. I'm not going to fear where I'm vulnerable. I'm not going to fear where I'm weak, because where I'm weak, he is strong. And if you're in that place, where you're a place where you've overcome the vulnerability, then pursue your destiny. Amen? Did I help any of you today? I hope I did. I want to set you up for the future. Amen? I want to set you up for some stuff that's coming your way this year. Believe it and expect it. Amen. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Amen. Amen.